Thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy. This is Dennis Peterson, and today I'd like to talk to you about a very sobering reality that's going on all around all of us right now. You know, if liberty has any genuine meaning in our age of deception, it certainly carries the right to tell people the truth, even when they've been conditioned by their trusted teachers to think that they don't want to hear it. Never before in our lifetime have we been so obviously confronted by what appears to be such a threat of ultimate foreboding loss of freedom that even the most optimistic Pollyanna must concede that we are all at a crossroads of choice. Will we choose to bow to God or bow to men who deny their creator? Which choice do you take right now for yourself? Today, thinking people all over the world are being forced to consider choices that most of us never dreamed would be faced so universally in the modern world. It comes down to this. The creator and savior of the entire world is empowering countless humble influencers to be spokesmen for the great I am, like Moses after 40 lonely years herding sheep in the wilderness of Midian, which is now Arabia. We should rightly feel humbled and inadequate to speak, especially when God is charging us to go be his ambassador. Let my people go, was the message then. It hasn't changed much, has it? The kingdom of darkness has been aggressively using deceit and fear to intimidate the human family ever since Adam and Eve's expulsion from the Garden of Eden. The long-awaited promise of the entrance of Jesus, the Creator and Messiah, into human history changed the dynamics of the battle, but the warfare of darkness versus light, of deception versus truth, and of bondage versus deliverance is as sharply in focus today as it ever was. In the light of what's been called the greatest deceptive manipulation of the entire planet's human population in all of history, Bible-believing Christians, like never before, need to personally take stock of who they will bow to and trust as their provider of peace and safety. Will it be their creator and savior? Or will it be the historically fabled golden image of their human government? The contrasting line in the sand could not be clearer. The challenge that perplexes all too many well-meaning believers is how should we take our stand for righteousness and trust in God? And that's where it gets down to really knowing how to apply the truth that will set us free. There are two foundational anchors that I've always tied to when engaging others in my discussions. First, Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It doesn't matter what the current conflict or chaos is going on around us. The root cause is always the confusion produced by ignorance of the truth, coupled with people's stubborn resistance to receive the gift of the love of the truth. That brings us to the second anchor of biblical principle. 2 Thessalonians 5.21 Prove or test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Never be afraid to ask probing questions of those who are confused by deceptive schemes of the devil. Where did you get that idea? What facts do you have to support your beliefs? Are you open to considering another viewpoint? Remember what Jesus said? He doesn't want you wasting time casting your pearls before pigs. 
If they aren't receptive to your testimony and willing to entertain a continuing discussion, then shake the dust off your feet and go find someone who's hungry to receive the truth that you've discovered. For anyone whose spiritual eyes are open to the discerning insights of godly logic and historic retrospect, today's epic capitulation to falsehood of virtually the entire human population of modern nations could not be more breathtaking. The questions touch every area of our modern living. It's all included. Our food supply, our economic provision, our basic human rights to assemble, to speak, and to worship, our civic responsibilities, our trust in our society's educators or health professionals or sources of information about current events. What's true? Who can you believe? What are our fundamental spiritual convictions that set our standard for what actions we should take? For perspective, try to put your mind in the context of living as a citizen of Germany in 1939. America is still recovering from the greatest economic depression in their history, lasting a full 10 years. Germany is also gaining a renewed sense of national pride after suffering humiliating losses through the greatest world war ever endured, supposedly the war to end all wars. Ordinary German citizens seem to turn a deaf ear to the deceptive, anti-God arrogance of the rising antichrist of their generation. The Bible clearly states that there have been many antichrists who carried out corrupt, deadly agenda of the God of this age, the one who is at constant war with the God who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, the one to whom the whole earth belongs along with all the fullness that it contains. Try to keep that perspective. The creator of the universe has not lost his control. The self-destructive pattern of human society is following exactly what God predicted they would in his word, just like has happened in past societies. Before we take a biblical look at how we bow to the Lord of our Sabbath rest, it would be wise for all of us to start with some natural understanding that God, our creator, made evidently clear about the fallen creation that we all live in. Do you know that the medical establishment of George Washington's culture deliberately administered a deeply flawed intervention that killed our first president? How'd they do such a thing? It's because they did not pay attention to God's word, the Bible. Today, most would agree that the lifeblood of our physical being is seen in the complex chemistry and physiology in our bodies that we call our bloodstream, our cardiovascular system, and the vitally needed cells that we call hemoglobin and macrophages, or white blood cells. The very life of our physical being is absolutely dependent on the adequate supply and circulation of our blood. If too much blood is lost from our veins, we die. The doctors of medicine in 1799 held the false belief that bloodletting was the solution to a severe common cold, which is a type of what is today called a coronavirus. When President Washington's cold took a turn for the worse at age 67, the doctors who had already drained nearly a quart of his so-called bad blood decided dangerously to drain out even more of his blood, which literally killed him. Do you think that could be an example of 
My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. When you hear the word quarantine, what comes to your mind? If you know some of the miraculous insights of the laws God gave to Moses in the Torah, you're likely very aware that quarantine was God's sensible direction for separating sick people from healthy ones to prevent the spread of infectious disease, right? Why would sensible people submit to an unprecedented overnight ruling by government bureaucrats worldwide to quarantine healthy people and dictate that all children and most non-essential working adults stay home and not even go outside without face coverings. They had no scientific support for that intervention. There's no therapeutic benefit in it. What would be better? Well, besides advising people to take good hygiene measures seriously, like frequent hand washing and bolstering good sanitation practices in public places, why didn't we hear frequent public service announcements urging everyone to stop doing the things that lower our immune response, like consuming refined sugar, maybe, and start supplementing our nutrition with plenty of vitamins A, C, D, and zinc. These are proven and widely prescribed therapies by trusted health professionals. Why didn't we hear about that? Another thing for perspective. What have modern governments been notably effective at using to control their populations and convince them to do things that normal, common-sense people would otherwise reject without even thinking about it? As a former president's chief of staff infamously posited, never let a crisis go to waste. Few things produce stampeding fear in the herd of humanity more than the public promotion of the fear that everyone could lose their health and even die if they don't separate themselves from one another. They can even be persuaded that it's an act of goodness to report their neighbor to public employees if they are seen gathering with too many other people. Nobody gets excited because millions of people get sick every year and tens of thousands of people die of the annual new or novel flu bug that goes around regularly. Yet now, you'd think we were living in the dark ages fearing the black death because someone might breathe on us. Anybody with a little horse sense can learn that viruses, like bacterial infections, can cause people with weak immune systems to come down with a bad case of flu symptoms. We've seen cycles over recent decades of Spanish flu, swine flu, bird flu, and all kinds of contagious infections that 99% of the population survive and are stronger afterwards. So, knowing that less than one-third of 1% 1 of those known to contract the infection are dying, why all the bluster and fear-mongering to generate public policies that are actually producing more susceptibility to all kinds of other health problems like lowered immunity, social and mental health issues, criminal behavior, and 
epidemic suicide from job losses and endless anxieties. Marxist, socialist, and globalist radicals may think they control the world with their anti-God, anti-liberty, and anti-life agenda, but could it be that God is sovereignly using this present chaotic crisis to cause lost people to seek him and his own people to repent of their rebellious pride, apathy, and unrighteousness? Remember the second psalm and realize that this present rise of darkness is not going to succeed beyond its God-determined limits. What does it say in the second psalm? Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled, but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. If you have not yet taken time to learn the rest of the story not being heard on most media outlets, be encouraged and refreshed by heeding Jesus' words to be careful what you listen to and how you hear. Turn off the mainstream TV news. Discover alternative truth-telling voices that don't depend on corporate support from mega-stockholder companies with globalist, politically motivated agendas. The Internet is a providential gift for those who learn to use it wisely. Find thoughtful, truthful sources you can respect for their integrity, their faithfulness to honesty, and respect for biblical authority as much as possible. It doesn't have to all be under a Christian label. Look for content by trustworthy medical professionals who are willing to serve their patients rather than push the agendas of profiteering medical pharmaceutical companies known as Big Pharma. That will take some discernment. Some of the best I've heard are featured on programs produced by a weekly podcast, Health Freedom News Channel, called The High Wire. I'll list some recommended sources that I've discovered on our ReclaimYourLegacy.com website. Look for them. And another important heads up, don't fall for the leftist-controlled so-called fact-checkers like Snopes, Wikipedia, and the heavily censored social media platforms like Facebook and YouTube. Stop using Google for a search engine. They heavily skew your searches by leftist bias and they censor excellent research that isn't submitted to the globalist and anti-truth narrative. Use others like DuckDuckGo. There's lots of them. I expect to see major shifts of truth-loving patriots away from popular platforms that are heavily censored by the big tech corporations. One that's gaining traction is all social in place of Facebook, without the censorship of truthful traditional values. Now let's briefly consider who is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Is it ever right to forbid the church from gathering together to corporately worship God on the Lord's Day? When have we ever seen nearly 100% unity in the church universal? The seemingly unanimous decision to stop assembling together must have been solidly backed by Scripture, right? Is the Word of God unclear about God's call to His church to gather together? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, a familiar passage about God's insistence that God's people continue to meet together. Romans chapter 13 is commonly raised in support of obeying government authorities. Why? Because, as it says, there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. It's clear that God doesn't want his people rioting and resistance to that which God has appointed to keep order in society. But what is God's order for his established civic governors? For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Are governing authorities delegated by God to determine what is good and what is wrong? The underlying assumption here is that the government is correctly distinguishing right and wrong, in accordance with what God would deem to be right and wrong. What if the government is approving that which God has deemed to be evil, or is condemning or punishing that which God has deemed to be good? What then? Are we still to submit? The answer is obviously no. Peter's response in Acts chapter 5 verses 11 to 42 is notable. We must obey God rather than men. That's in verse 29 of Acts 5. The primary principle that must always be upheld is clear. No government has the authority to command what God has forbidden, nor does any government have the authority to forbid what God has commanded. Whenever this primary principle is violated, the Christian is not obligated to submit. Indeed, the Christian is obligated to respectfully resist. So how can gathering together in faith to worship God on his day, regardless of the circumstances, ever be deemed to be morally wrong? Would the government ever have the right to use the sword against us to execute capital punishment towards those churches who choose to sin by continuing to congregate and worship God? Would we be considered evildoers in the eyes of Christ because we refuse to stop worshiping him on his day? as he has commanded us to do? In such a scenario, would the government be acting as the avenging servant of God by carrying out God's wrath on the wrongdoer? Christ's church 
may obviously be challenged by the perplexing ways to cope when forced to go underground. But let's be clear. No government can forbid what God has commanded, period. There are no exceptions to this fundamental axiom. Is the human leadership of the church permitted to forbid something that God has commanded? Or to command something that God has forbidden? If so, what scripture would justify this? Certainly not Romans 13. Christian assemblies must hold their leaders accountable to obey God's word as well and find ways to adjust to circumstances just as underground assemblies of God's people have had to do for generations in many countries. The early church is strongly urged in Hebrews to continue gathering because it was through gathering together that they would be encouraged to hold fast the confession of their hope without wavering, in other words, it was by gathering together that they would be heartened to stand fast in the day of affliction. Yet in our day of affliction, we have instead opted to refrain from gathering together, which has resulted in many within the church becoming disheartened. The Bible plainly states that one of the best ways to love our brethren is through the regular gathering together for worship on the Lord's Sabbath day of rest. By gathering together... We can stir each other to love and do good works, as well as encourage each other in the midst of affliction. The Bible has much to say about God's Sabbath, beginning with his day of rest in the Genesis account of creation. When we apply it to corporate worship in the body of Christ's redeemed and transformed children, the priority of the Lord's Sabbath is very compelling. Even our nation's president recognized the sacredness of having the church gather for the celebration of Passover and Easter. In the face of the 2020 pandemic media panic, our president lamented that his medical advisors were making it seem like he had no option but to insist that citizens stay home on Passover Sunday, 2020. Sadly, only a few brave groups of Christians in nations around the world took a stand to assemble after several weeks of forced lockdown. By not speaking or offering any resistance whatsoever, most of Christ's 21st century church only emboldened governments to abuse their powers to the extreme. Hopefully, if the challenge is ever raised again, more thoughtful church leaders will know how to peacefully and respectfully lead their congregations to turn down any government's order to stay home on the Lord's Sabbath. God is raising up a generation of warriors like Joshua and Caleb, like the thousands of early church martyrs, and like Luther and Tyndall, using God's spiritual weapons of warfare to destroy the works of the devil. Brave and obedient Christian soldiers will reclaim the victory that Jesus died for. They will boldly prevail against the gates of hell that deceive and intimidate God's fearful sheep who prevent Christ's ecclesia from bringing glory to their Lord through his victory that overcomes the power of the evil one. As Jesus said, let both the wheat and the weeds grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy. 
This is Dennis Peterson. I look forward to being with you next time.